Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I have a special guest, Casey Winningham out of Bloomington, Indiana, who is a professional headstone carver who uses the traditional techniques in his craft. He's also done a lot of cemetery restoration work over the years. And we're going to talk about some of the history of carving memorial stones as well as some of the other types of monuments that you might encounter in cemeteries and how they came into existence. I first met Casey when he was involved in a cemetery restoration workshop in Union City, Michigan this year. So, well, welcome to the podcast today, Casey. Thanks for taking time to be on. Oh, you're welcome. It's always uh, fun to talk about what I do. So could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first came into your craft of Stone carving, is that what you describe it as? Yeah, I, I do hand carve lettering in stone. Um, it's sort of a specialty of stone carving. Um, not much done these days, uh, especially in this country. Uh, there's probably a dozen of us that still carve letters uh, in stone by hand with just a chisel and a mallet. Um, it goes really back to uh, my childhood Um uh, uh, I was uh, first introduced to uh, our family cemetery by my grandfather. Um, I was probably 10 years old or so, and he was walking me through the, the family cemetery, and he would point out literally just a rock, uh, not a headstone, just a, a rock marker, and he would tell me that it was his great-grandfather. And... Um, I knew then that after he had passed, who would know who was under that rock? So um, I kind of made a commitment to myself at that time. And when I when I grew up, um, I I carried it out. I um, I sought out uh, knowledge of, of how to carve headstones. Uh, it, it's a pretty um, it takes a lot of practice, and I realized I wouldn't be very good at it at first, uh, but I, I went ahead and, and made a few with just the names and, and dates on them and took those and installed them. And one thing went after another. Um, I started making more um, uh, elaborate stones. Uh, people saw what I was doing, liked it, asked me to make them uh, stones for their family. That went on for quite a few years, uh, mostly being replacement stones uh, for either um, uh, people who didn't have any stones to begin with or had deteriorated to the point where they weren't really uh, recoverable. Um, probably about five or six years ago in that, in that neighborhood, I started switching over to doing um, headstones for people who had recently passed. And um, that brings with it um, some other elements uh, that I, I hadn't uh, worked with before, and that's uh, the the mourning of the individual who's commissioning me to make the stone. Um, but um, it, it's gone very, very well. I delivered and installed one yesterday for a fellow whose wife died uh, about a year ago. And uh, it's it's rewarding. It's rewarding work. Wow. So is it just primarily the memorial stones on grave sites, or do you do other types of historic monuments with your work? 
No, uh, it's, it's just about all um, headstones that I do. Uh, the techniques are the same, uh, regardless of, of what they're going to be used for. So uh, if, if it was ever needed, uh, then I certainly uh, could make uh, historical monuments, that sort of thing. Okay. And so when they see these large monuments in cemeteries, those are put together in separate parts? Is that what happens? Is... Yeah, even the smaller uh, stack headstones uh, that you'll see that kind of look like uh, maybe a couple of blocks on top of each other with a kind of a tall uh, top part, tall column. Um, those are all several parts. Almost all of them are at least three parts, if not four. And that's certainly true with the, the really, really big ones as well. So they're, they're um, all carved separately and then assembled on site. So they've used some sort of divots to make sure they, they fit in the right spaces or are they well, adhesive an, together? That's an interesting question. And it, uh, it, it, it gets into my restoration work um, that I do restoring uh, monuments that, that have uh, fallen into disrepair. Back in the, the 19th century, they didn't have uh, our modern um, monument-grade epoxies. Uh, the only thing they had was mortar, and they would do various things to try to help the mortar hold everything together. They would um, carve uh, X's and such into the mating surfaces to give it more bite. They would drill holes and put in iron pins uh, to keep the, the parts from sliding off if they started to lean. Uh -huh. That has a problem in that the iron pins rusted and increased in diameter because of the rust, and they would blow the stone out. So we see a lot of that in our restoration work. Um, oh, that's interesting. Have. So that would explain certain certain types of cracks with some of these stones. Yeah, if you look at a like a, a thick a thick type tablet sitting on a block and you see two cracks at the bottom um, the most certainly have been caused by uh, pin blowouts wow that's until you've taken one apart i guess you don't understand how that actually happens that's fascinating yeah it's it's not seen you know until we we um start putting them back together and uh making everything right uh these days, we use a monument-grade epoxy uh, that's made for stone-to-stone -stone, uh, in an outdoor environment, and the pins are no longer necessary. They, they've just become redundant. Well, that's good. And how long does that normally last, the epoxy? Um, well, there's no long-term studies that, that I know of. Um, the the epoxies have, have been around for several decades. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose uh, I, I don't foresee any any reason to believe that they would fail in the future. Oh, good. So, do you have any interesting stories about some of the projects that you've been involved in over the years, either in restoration or in creating a new monument for somebody? Well, um, we were talking about doing a, a historic monument. Uh, one did come to mind that I did do. Um, there was a, a, a famous headstone carver in a, in a county uh, near me here in Indiana. And for years I had um, studied his carving techniques. Uh, the lettering, uh, his lettering was different than most. Uh, really beautiful. And so I was actually analyzing and take hundreds of photographs um, 
and he also used a material that I was very fond of uh, called silt stone. It's a type of sandstone, but it's extremely fine-grained, and it's not very common. And uh, it, it takes a, a beautiful line when you carve it, and it doesn't deteriorate with acid rain like um, marble and limestone. So these monuments that are over 150 years old looks like the day that they were carved. Um, wow. And... It, he actually had a um, quarry on his property where he got those stones from. Um, I was asked to make a memorial for him, and uh, in the course of, of the work leading up to it, uh, I was introduced to a person who currently owned the property where uh, he used to be, and they asked if I would like to use siltstone from his quarry. And, I, you know, I was just elated that was amazing not only making a monument to my uh, 19th century headstone carving hero i was using siltstone from his quarry wow um, i i also used my uh, 19th century uh chisels um i had amassed uh, um, a large number of uh, photographs of the letters so if i needed an s and uh, I could see exactly how he dealt with the horizontal and diagonal parts of the S, the terminations, and I matched. I matched everything, even the uh, the artwork uh, on the top of the stone. I did a low base relief carving, and I used his um, his um, decoration styles of uh, draped curtains and that sort of thing. So that was really rewarding. I enjoyed that. And that monument was for his gravesite, or no? He's buried uh, not too far away. Um, the longer story is that he had made a uh, he carved a, a bust that was actually a mile marker to various towns, various directions. Okay, that became sort of a um, uh, a local. Um, interesting point people would come to it to to see what what was called stonehead and mm -hmm. uh vandals destroyed it a number of years ago and then i was asked to replace uh not to replace the, oh. the stonehead we decided that really wouldn't be the best thing to do so i made a memorial to the stonehead uh icon that that he had carved and at the same time to him so it was kind of a combination of both wow well, that brings me to probably to this, the uh, restoration and repair work you do, because a lot of it is probably done by vandals. Some of it may be from tree falls or something like that or storms. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, uh, I'd say almost always our um, damaged stones are, are just come from um, wear and tear and uh, the sinking and, and leaning of the base stone, which leads to the breakage of a, of a tablet or the toppling of a stacked stone. Um, the the uh, destruction by vandalism really isn't that common, at least uh, until this year. Uh, I was called by friends to uh, come up and make a, a, an estimate for a cemetery um, that had uh, over 90 stones that were destroyed in one night by vandalisms, wow. and, and they were very severely destroyed. 
Um, but but wow. normally, like you say, a, a limb or the most common is just the ground sinking uh, around the stone, causing it to lean or topple eventually. Mm-hmm. Wow. So do you have any unusual uh, restoration stories that you had to deal with that really gave you a challenge? Well, I, I think they're, they're all in their own way uh, a challenge. You, you walk up to a stone and you examine it. Uh, you find out exactly what it needs, if it needs to be uh, glued back together uh, or you know, and reassembled or uh, simply a new foundation put on it. The, um, there's a, a plethora of techniques that, that I use and, um, it's mm-hmm. each stone is just a different combination of, of all those things. What's best to restore this, uh, headstone back to as nearly as we can, what it used to be and stabilize it for the, right. the future. Now those limestone ones that sometimes will fade all of the details and character is it uh, ever a case where they just replace it with a new stone or yeah that would that would tend to be um, a family request and when you get into stones that that are from the the mid to, to late 1800s mm-hmm. you don't often have family that um, is aware of those stones uh, a few oh, people do genealogy and, and track them down but um when that happens uh, i have been asked on occasion to make a replacement stone and uh, okay. i always uh keep the original stone with my replacement right next to it i feel that's important rather than just getting rid of the old stone uh, mm-hmm. which has been what the family has come to for all these years to remember the individual. I, I just feel it's important to have it remaining on site there. Right. And so it's more than just lettering. You also carve the reliefs that we see in those stone designs and uh, some of the other elements like the flowers and maybe the hands. That, uh, yeah. That... Yeah. Um, um... On this, this one that I installed yesterday had a, a rose um, okay. with a broken stem. There's a lot of symbolism in the um, um, the, the pictures on stones, and uh, that happened to be the one that I was doing today, uh, yesterday rather. Now, do you know some of the background on some of those symbolism? Because I see them all the time at cemeteries. And I've I've heard of a few of the ones, but I you know I do you have like is there like a common well, group of them that you see? Oh well, certainly, and in in a uh, a particular cemetery, you will often see the same um, symbols being used on various stones. Uh, I think pre- predominantly because that was probably the same carver that did all these stones at a particular oh, cemetery. When you geographically get some distance, you start seeing other types of things, and you see lettering that, that's carved in a, in a slightly different style. But almost always, when you when you see something like that catches your eye, uh, if you look around the cemetery, you're going to find a few more just like it uh, because right. of the okay. uh, arbor 
that that did that locally. Well, I know that when you walk around these old cemeteries, if you see a lamb, it's usually a child that's so buried far, under that stone. It's been it's always been a child in in my experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I keep waiting for an exception, but I, but I haven't found any. It's, it's almost certainly that. And usually, the stone is small, um, right? W- which I. Th- is probably because the uh, the parents are, are just getting started, uh, didn't have a lot of money for a, a great big memorial. It's unusual to find a, a large memorial for a child that that only lived for a year. Right, right. So the, the very small ones are, are a tip-off as well, that it was probably a child. And I know that the adjoined hands means they were married. Is a symbol yeah, for that. Yeah, that's interesting. Usually when they're horizontal and they're joining hands, and many times you will see a lace cuff on one for the woman and oh, a, um, a buttoned cuff on the, the man. So you can tell one one's a man and one's a woman. The other joint uh-huh. hands uh, is vertical, and it's it's God reaching down from heaven to clasp hands with uh, the recently departed. Uh, you don't see that one as often, but uh, you certainly do see it many times. Wow. Okay, well, I want to look closely now, start looking for the buttons and the lace on these mm-hmm. when I see them. I, that's interesting information. Um, so how long does it take you to carve, say, a detailed stone of... You know, I mean, I know every project's different, but what would it? Are we talking months, or is it something that takes you a year in some cases, or I'm, just a few weeks? Or well, it's like you say, it depends on uh, how involved it is in, in, in the shaping of the profile of the stone, uh, uh-huh. what the if it has a low base relief carving, and how intricate that is, and uh, the amount of, of text on the stone. But anywhere from two weeks to a month. I would say is typical. Um, you're working it on, working uh, quite a few days a week, getting that done. Um, I've currently got one that's going to have a uh, cornucopia on the back, okay. uh, horn of plenty, and uh, I enjoy that because I, I've never done one. You know, I, I've done all these different carvings, but I've never done that particular one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's enjoying. Um, it's very uh, calming and uh, peaceful. Work working alone in my studio, and you sort mm-hmm. of get lost in, in the carving of the letters, just uh, peck pecking away. Right, and then there's different. Um, the different faiths have different uh, styles a little bit with their stones, right? Or at least I know that the military ones will have. Uh, they'll either have a cross or a star of David. Yes, yes, and, and the military stones are pretty easy to spot because they, they all have that similar tablet shape, but they're uh, unusually thick, whereas uh, most tablets are, are much thinner. When you see that round-top uh, stone and it's quite thick, it's usually a, a military stone. They still um, offer those to uh, families if they um, go through the process of proving their their ancestor uh, doesn't have one and did serve and that sort of thing. They, they still make mm-hmm. them uh, out of marble and uh, ship them to the uh, the family. Wow, that's great. What, what was kind of your most challenging project, say, carving a new stone? What was the... Well, 
One that was was pretty involved was um, a couple from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they had a baby who who died about a year old, and um, they, they were in mourning. They wanted a special stone. They they found me on on the internet. They they flew up um, and met me. Um, I I think. Uh, still, that it was just to to look into my eyes before they decided to use me to carve the memorial for their their baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was a lot of conversations uh, uh, over email and telephone, uh, changing designs and uh, making adaptations. It was a, a headstone. Uh, that was really involved. It, it had the typical information on the front, but it had a, a big Bible verse on the back, and, and then across the edge, uh, up the side, across the top, and down the other side, uh, was lettering. And in addition to that, uh, there was two uh, limestone benches I made that both had lettering uh, along the edges. So there wow. was uh, eventually the completion of that project, and, and then my transporting it down uh, to the cemetery there in Georgia and installing it. Um, that was uh, that's quite an experience. Um, I, I do prefer to transport and install all of my headstones rather than leaving me up to someone else to, to do that. I want to make sure they get off to a good start. That's great that you can do that. Um, so you mm-hmm. service all over the U.S. probably then if you... If yeah, I've got to... one going to... Decorah, Iowa, later this year, and that's like in the mm-hmm. northwestern corner, so it's about an eight-hour drive for me. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I get to travel, which I really love to do. Um, and it seems like uh, many of the cemeteries that, that I have a long, ongoing uh, relationship with, with restoration, are quite a distance from home, um, three, mm-hmm. four hours away. So um, I, I do enjoy being on the road like that. Uh, when I do a cemetery that's that far away, um, I certainly want to stay for several days. And, and uh, I've got my Jeep set up to where I uh, camp in, in my Jeep. I've got uh, uh, a bedding area and I've got a, a pull-out kitchen where I can cook. Um, hmm. Then I pull my trailer that's got all the restoration equipment on it. So, yeah, wow. yeah it's, it's, it's fun. That's that's great, yeah. Because then you can be comfortable while you're working, uh, take breaks between between the projects that you're doing. I mean, that and you could probably do several stones in a five day period that way too, right? Yeah. Um, when I'm doing restoration, uh, it depends on which, what type of stone it is, how how bad it is. But but I can do quite a few in in each day. And then uh, coming home, it, it's nice to uh, switch gears and uh, carve new stones. So really blessed having two aspects to, to my work, the restoration and the carving. Now you were up uh, here doing the, some work at the Union City Riverside Cemetery uh, a few weeks back, and that's when I met you. Um, have mm-hmm. you done other work in that cemetery in the past, like rest- restoration work? or? No, that was my first time. Uh, Bobby Mathis asked me to come up and... Um, mm-hmm. um, 
help out, and uh, it was really, really fun to do. Uh, it's quite a beautiful cemetery, a lot of trees, a lot of old monuments, good, good condition. She's put a great deal of work into that cemetery over the past few years. Yeah, it's quite I think a place. You, I think you saw us working on a very, very large uh, monument, yeah. which was that was exciting, um, getting getting it lifted back and, and put back into place, uh, working with two other um, uh, conservators on that, kind of all putting our heads together. Usually I, I'm working alone, and uh, it's very solitary work, but it's fun when you get to uh, work with others who know exactly what it's all about and uh, and do the work with them. Yeah, Casey's being a bit humble. This thing was a massive three-part stone, and some of these parts were about three to 500 pounds each. <laughs> these guys figured out how to winch oh, them and safely put them back into place. So it was quite a... That's exciting, I mean, because uh, you're seeing something you don't normally do something that massive and so your your mind's running and you're constantly thinking okay if this uh goes wrong right now what would happen where would the stone fall where mm -hmm. would i be where would my friends be um and and thinking of ways to minimize any danger always thinking about how it could go wrong and what to do if it if it does yeah and then then, yeah. then successfully completing it uh, yeah, that's a lot of joy. It was quite a final product. I actually captured it on video. It was just, uh, it was really great to watch watch it all come back together. Have you done any other work in Michigan cemeteries? I haven't as yet. Um, uh, mostly in uh, Indiana and Ohio. Uh, or I've done various other states around Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Illinois, uh, that sort of thing. But. Uh, um, that was my first time up there. Okay. So where can people learn to, where, where should they start if they want to learn to restore headstones? Well, uh, you, you need to learn from someone who um, is using the proper techniques. Uh, there are products that, that uh, the best of us agree are the right things to use. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I, I always say that uh, you should listen to a lot of people in, in a, uh, a chosen uh, discipline like this and see what the common things are that they're saying. Uh, see what's different. See what makes sense to you. Um, I think then you can decide uh, what the proper course of action goes. It's easy to mm -hmm. say that uh, the person should find someone who knows what they're doing, but... Uh, a lot of people that are doing it think they do know what they're doing, and, uh, and they're not always using the, the, the best techniques for the long-term health of a stone. Mm -hmm. um, I, okay. I teach or help teach several classes a year. So how, um, if someone were wanted to find out more about your work, how could they find out about it? Uh, either email directly or my website, which has a contact link. Uh, the, okay. They're very similar. Uh, in letters, uh, CaseyWinningham.com and CaseyWinningham at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, you can probably spell that out for them at the end of the, the video. Yeah, I'll put that in the, um, interview. Uh, in the description of the podcast. I'll put your, your links right. and information down there so that they can reach mm -hmm. out to you if you're interested. So um, mm -hmm. anything else you'd like to add about your business of, of uh, headstone carving and monument creation? Um, 
the, the only thing I think we, we probably we didn't touch on is is, is materials. Um, I use mostly Indiana limestone, which is a very very high quality limestone. Uh, I'm in the Bloomington area of Indiana, southern Indiana, and we it's known we do have the finest limestone in the country. So most of my stones yeah. are made from from Indiana limestone, but I also uh, when I can get the opportunity, I, I've carved in marble and sandstone and slate. Um, so yeah, there's other materials that, um, well, that which I is the material on. that's more likely to last longest. Well, I would say something that that uh, did not react with um, um, acid rain. Uh, limestone okay. and marble are both calcium carbonate, and mm-hmm. they do react. Um, as far as uh, stones that that I carve, uh, sandstone or slate are non-reactive and would would i i believe would would uh stand the the longest time however limestone and marble i, I would certainly would would give it 150 years or so which is it's quite a long time actually yeah that's that is quite a long time that is uh about one would expect out of a monument that's great well thanks for coming on the show today uh casey it's been fascinating learned a lot of interesting insight into that whole world of headstone carving and things that I'm seeing out there in cemeteries. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have visited cemeteries and wondered about some of those uh, points that you talked about today. Oh, thank you. It's it's always fun talking about what I do. Um, I say it's a very solitary occupation. So uh, meeting with others uh, is always welcomed. And uh, if they want to take a, pay a visit to see what you do, they can check out your website. And like I said, I'll put the link to that in the description of the podcast episode. So I've been talking with Casey Winningham out of Bloomington, Indiana. He's a professional headstone carver. His company is called Headstone Restoration. You might be wondering how headstone carving fits into Southwest Michigan history. But oftentimes... When exploring cemeteries or tracing genealogy, the only thing you have to go on is the headstone sometimes as a starting place. And sometimes you'll come across stones that have a lot of fascinating history etched right into it that tell a complete story of the individual. And I've run into a few of those in my exploring cemeteries. So when I met Casey, I thought, wow, this would be really interesting to have him on my show so that people can learn just what's involved in putting together a headstone and how these things are carved and and some of the background on how these larger monuments are put together. And I think we covered a lot of that material today. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another fascinating story from tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.